Hey, everybody, it's Ed. I want to thank four brand new podcast supporters, Kristen Barbary, Casey Bergstrom, Alex Machado, and Ashley Sack. These four women signed up on the website to support the podcast through Patreon, and I really appreciate it. It really still blows my mind, not only that people listen, but that then they want to support the podcast with their hard-earned dollars. And I can't thank you enough. It, it really means the world to me. If you want to learn more about the options, go to mountainandpray.com slash support. Thanks a lot. Hey, this is Ed Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative individuals who are shaping the future of the American West. I meet most of these people through my work in land conservation or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending time up high in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists, athletes, artists, adventurers, pretty much anyone who's doing important work, has an interesting story, and loves the American West. My guest today is Matt Scoglund. Matt and his wife Sarah are bison ranchers and the owners of Northbridger Bison Ranch, which is located in Montana's iconic Shields Valley. The Scoglund's bison operation is deeply rooted in holistic management and regenerative agriculture principles, and their goal is to produce healthy and delicious meat while simultaneously improving the land, helping the environment, and contributing to Montana's economy. Through hard work and genuine curiosity, Matt has found his life's true calling in bison ranching, a challenging yet deeply rewarding business that combines so many of Matt's passions into one dream job. By now you might be assuming that Matt comes from a western ranching family, or perhaps holds agriculture degrees from a land-grant university. But the reality is that Matt grew up in the Chicago area. He attended college in the Northeast, then law school, then began a career as an attorney in the litigation department of a large Chicago law firm. After several years of practicing law, he and Sierra could no longer resist the desire to move west, so they took a leap of faith and moved to Bozeman. Matt eventually found a job with the National Resource Defense Council, where he worked for nearly 10 years, digging deep into many conservation issues that affect the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, including bison. Finally, in 2018, after several years of dreaming and planning, they pulled the trigger, bought some land, and started their adventure in bison ranching. Matt and Sarah's story is inspiring and instructive, especially for those who've ever had dreams of pursuing lives and careers in the West. Instead of jumping all over the place like I normally do in these conversations, this interview is pretty much split into two main sections. The first half covers all the details about North Bridger Bison, how they acquired the ranch, their process of field harvesting the meat, who their customers are, and some of the biggest surprises of running their own business. The second half of our conversation covers some broader personal topics, such as how being a father has affected Matt's outlook, why he was able to walk away from a lucrative career in law, and the life lessons learned from being a college hockey player. Whether you're strictly interested in agriculture or only interested in people's personal evolutions, there are aspects of the Scoglin's journey that will be fascinating to both groups. Be sure to check the episode notes for a list of everything we discussed and links to everything. Hope you enjoy. It's always hard for me to figure out how to start these things because I got so much I want to talk to you about. But um, maybe the the best way to do it is if you can just kind of set the scene 
for your bison ranch. All right, where where is the ranch, and uh, what's the landscape like around there? So it's in the Shields Valley of Montana, which is a absolutely beautiful, spectacular place. Um, very much an agricultural ranching valley. Um, we're on the west side of the Shields Valley, um, right up against the North Bridger Mountains, and so we're about uh, thirty five minutes north of Bozeman. Uh, about 14, 15 miles past Bridger Bowl, and then 10 miles west of Wilsall, Montana. Yep. Um, and then, and so it's really unique. So the ranch itself, and so one, I always tell folks is that one, we did not buy a turnkey ranch. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're we're starting from we we've started from scratch here. Um, and then on on the ranch, it's uh, we, we don't it's sagebrush grass. Um, uh, we have a few really awesome spring and then we literally don't have a tree. Um, oh, wow. so there's not a tree on the ranch. Um, but we've got the North bridgers to the West and then the crazy mountains to the East. So the setting is absolutely spectacular. Just really, really beautiful. Yeah. That the crazy mountains are some of the mo- the prettiest mountains I've ever seen. I used to do a lot of work over in big timber. So I was kind of looking westward at them and man, that is just spectacular so how did you how did you end up in that specific spot when you when you decided all right i want to i want to go into this business why there versus other places you know um a few reasons i mean the the main one um was we you know we found the right piece of land in the right spot at the right price and um so i mean the whole and we can you know go into this but um I was going to say, you know, the other thing I tell folks besides that, you know, we didn't buy a turnkey ranch is we also just didn't wake up one day and say, oh, we're going to start a bison ranch. I mean, there was a lot of thought and research, lots of heart to hearts between my wife, Sarah and I, um, lots of other ideas that, you know, came close on and then chickened out. Um, but then, you know, so can tell you the full story, but as far as the, the land, um, once we got serious about you know, um, saying, you know, we want to do this. We, we want to start a bison ranch. Um, we knew we want, you know, we've been in Bozeman for over 11 years. And so, um, we, we, we wanted it to be somewhere in the greater Bozeman area, um, close enough that we could get into town when, you know, we needed to, to see friends, what, what have you, but also far, far enough away so that we could, you know, grow, expand, um, you know, not be, um, you know, hemmed in by subdivisions or something. Yep. And, um, and so, and so candidly, like, I, you know, we, I, I really never thought any of this would happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, just, I mean, I know, you know, I mean, Bozeman is, is blowing up like crazy right now. Yep. And so land prices are insane. And, um, and so one of the things was when we decided, Hey, we're going to do this. We got lucky and we, we bought our house in Bozeman, over 10 years ago and we live right downtown. Yep. Um, and so I said, Hey, we'll do whatever we have to do to borrow money, but we are not selling this house. Um, and so as we started looking for land, um, we, you know, you're trying to find a three bedroom house for Sarah, me, Otto, Greta, um, with enough land to try to make a go at this was just a non-starter. Um, and we've all, and then also as Bozeman's growing, it's, it's, it's really growing to the West. It's sprawling to the West, mm-hmm. but 
you know, north you're protected, east you're protected. Um, and we've just always loved that area um, of up against the North Bridgers. I love, I've, you know, cut firewood up there for a number of years. And um, so anyways, so we were looking on literally just, you know, Google, you know, uh, looking on land, land sites. Um, and then I came across these, uh, and I know you, you're, uh, well, obviously involved in land conservation, but used to be involved in real estate. So yeah. it was a really interesting, um, I guess, not straightforward real estate transaction. And that we came across these two parcels with nothing on them, vacant land. They'd been on the market for years and years. Um, and the price was just way below, um, everything else around. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, we might as well get, might as well go take a look. So this is like last March, March of 2018. And so I took Otto and Greta and we, you know, I called the ranch broker and went out and looked and I was like, wow, this is actually, this is pretty cool. Um, and then went out the next weekend with Sarah and she was like, yeah, this is, this is really cool. And, um, and then as we got, as we talked to the ranch broker, he said, you know, there's actually a third parcel for sale. It's not publicly listed because there's tenants there and the owner doesn't want to scare the tenants. Uh, but it's, it's got a little ranch house on it. It's kind of beat up, but, um, you know, there's three parcels. And so, um, Anyways, I mean, I can go into all details if you want, but we ultimately, um, at, at first we said, can we buy two and lease the third with the right of first refusal? And they said no, and we knew we needed all three. Yeah. Um, and so we got it under contract last June, and it was a whole ordeal last summer. Both um, There were three different sellers. One of them had died. There was a, uh, an estate attorney involved. Damn. And <laughs> yeah, they were just like highly motivated sellers, and- um, so like people have asked, like, how many properties did you guys look at? And, uh, it, I said, as far as in person, we literally looked at one piece of land. That's um, awesome. Just because like it was, and I kept, you know, I kept looking online, um, but there was nothing that came close, um, as far as price, location, everything. And I think at the end of the day, it was just, it was caught in the middle because, you know, multiple friends have said, Oh yeah, you know, I know that piece. And I've, I've talked to like two or three different people that looked at it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was just caught in the middle where if you're uh say, uh, you know, just give the example of like a hedge fund billionaire that falls in love with Montana yep. and, and wants to buy a slice of the Montana dream. Like this is not for him or her. Sure. You know, there's, we literally don't have a tree. There's no trout stream. Um, they're also not adjacent. Like we, there's a half section in between, our parcels that we don't own. Um, and then if you're from Bozeman, Livingston, wherever you drive by at 75 miles an hour and see a big sign that says 320 acres price reduced, which was with the, which was the sign at the corner. And you look out the window and see just a bunch of sage and you're like, well, what am I going to do with that? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just on the market for a long time and it just turned out to be the, the perfect place for us. And then, you know, the more we explored it, the more we just like fell like hard for it. And now, you know, we, We've owned it for 13 months and done a ton of work, and we've got bison out there, and it's just this magical, magical uh, piece of land. I'm telling you, you know, from my, I was in the real estate business for probably close to 15 years, and associated with ranches in one way or the other for like 10. And that is that is amazing that that all worked out with all those different buyers and sellers and where you are. And I mean that that's a testament to to you and your patience and you and your wife's patience because that's man, that's unreal. So when you're like when you were kind of deciding you wanted to do this and you're like, all right, I'm on the lookout for land. 
I should know this, but I don't. I mean, how, like, what were your criteria? I mean, did you think, all right, I need X number of animals to be able to make a living doing this. And so in order to support X number of animals, I need Y number of acres. Is that kind of the the math you do? or I mean, how did you even begin the process of figuring out what you need for that? Sure. Well, I guess, can I back up a couple? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I guess, you know, the the full uh, story is, you know, I I had been working at the Natural Resources Defense Council, the NRDC, for years and, um, you know, absolutely love the organization and the amazing work they do. But I um, was just... I guess create really craving to do something on my own tangible land-based entrepreneurial, um, for-profit. Like I remember reading, um, Yvonne Chouinard's book, let my people go surfing. And oh, I just I love it. Love it. Yeah. And I just love, you know, the way he could sell Patagonia tomorrow for a gazillion dollars. And he, he uses that company to, to try to make the world a better place. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, 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 and working, you know, and there's things that come with nonprofits that are, you know, can be kind of a headache. Um, so I just, and I just, you know, we just really wanted to do something on my own. Um, so I had a few different ideas, but I always chickened out. We had two kids along the way. Um, and then in 2017, I was like, you know, I got to figure this out. Um, and I had been thinking about a bison ranch, um, uh, you know, in the bison industry, I, it, at NRDC, one of the, my main issue that I worked on was, was, um, the wild, Yellowstone wild bison issue. So, um, you know, I know a fair amount about the animal. I mean, that's a whole different world than bison ranching, but, sure. um, was, you know, I have a deep love for the, for the animal. And, uh, I was thinking about it, but I was like, you know, the whole, like, I'm a big meat hunter, food person, gardener, morel, mushroom, nut, all that stuff. Um, and but when it came to bison ranching, I was like, you know, at the, I'm like, get at the end, like bison live this great life out on pasture and then to like, you know, get work them into a corral through a squeeze chute onto a trailer, ship them two hours, you know, all that stress. I was like, I just, you know, I, I just don't want to be a part of that. And sure. um, and then I read Dan O'Brien's Buffalo for the Broken Heart. I love that book. Of, it's unreal. Um, Have you met that guy? A, no, he's a total hero of mine. And, uh, I've talked to his son-in-law, um, uh, but I've not met him yet. I, I, it's, I, I want to make a pilgrimage to wild idea ranch or, you know, their, their place in South Dakota. Yeah. Um, I just am so busy right now. I haven't had a chance to, um, he's a badass. Yeah. He's amazing. He's, he's, he's amazing. Um, their whole operation is amazing, but literally in the fall of 2017, while reading his book, um, I mean, that, that was the true light bulb moment when, um, I read about his, you know, pioneering the field harvest of bison, which I did not know even existed. And it was like an instant, like when I read it, I was like, I want to do that. And I know there's a market for it. And I know that that market is only going to grow because more and more people are asking about where their food comes from. I mean, more and more people that, um, you know, don't hunt and we'll say like, I don't eat meat, um, but I will eat meat if my neighbor killed an elk or a deer. Um, and so when I read that book and, and particularly the part about field harvest that lit a fire under my ass to, to, 
that's when I said, I, okay, this is something we should really stop like the daydreaming, you know, I guess exit the daydreaming phase and go into the, um, you know, I, I, I want to actively pursue this phase. And so I, I then, um, I just Googled like bison ranching consultant and there happened to be, I found a guy Yeah, literally, that's like, awesome. um, yeah. And so I literally, uh, this guy, Roland Cruz, amazing guy lives in Bozeman. We met for lunch in January of 2018. I told him my story and he kind of interrupted me and was like, look, if you're serious about this, you should come to my holistic management workshop on a bison ranch. And I took it both as this would be helpful for you. And also as a test, like, are you a dreamer? Or are, mm-hmm. or are you serious about this? And so, you know, I went back, talked to Sarah, and she's like, you got to go. And so I went, and uh, it was in March, and I just ate it up. Like, I mean, just, uh, you know, going in deep in the weeds on grass, soil, grazing, water, um, all that stuff. Um, just, just, just loved it. And, but I still had this, like, I'd say pretty, pretty strong insecurity about, like, I, you know, um, I'm not a rancher. I'm not from a ranching family. Yeah. I grew up, I'm born and raised in suburban Chicago. Like, like, you know, is this even possible? Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and so there was a guy there who was about my age and I was chatting with him one night and, um, I was like, Hey, you know, he manages the bison ranch in Kentucky. And I said, I said, so did you study ag in college? And he was like, no, not at all. And if I did, I would have had to unlearn all of that. He's like, everything that we do, I've learned at workshops like this. And I was like, huh, like that's interesting. And, um, um, anyway, so I came back from that just really excited. Um, and I knew I was like, I, I want, this is, this is, I want to pursue this. Um, and so kept researching. And then at some point that spring, I, I, I just, you know, it was really the mental piece. It was such a huge part of it. And so at some point that spring, I crossed, you know, I guess the bridge where the risk of not doing it became greater than the risk of doing it. Um, and we got serious. And so I, Roland, I, I worked with him. And so I guess, you know, long-winded answer to your question about what criteria did we use to look for land? Um, you know, we knew we needed uh, a decent-sized parcel Um, you know, our goal is to get up to a herd of about 200 animals. So, so, and, and ideally we would buy like a home base, Mm -hmm. um, and then start, you know, start our ranch and show our neighbors, others that, Hey, we know what we're doing and we're improving our land. We're managing our animals well. And then our, and then hopefully we can get a couple leases because leasing is really, you know, ultimately the way to go. Sure. Um, and, and so, so in May, uh, after I'd seen it a couple times and we'd been out there and I'd talked to the ranch broker and out here, you know, as a, as school's about to get out and it's like peak green up and the mountains are white, it's the real estate season. Um, we, you know, we, as I said, we kept looking at, I kept looking online, but it came down to, um, you know, at some point late May, 2018, it, it, it came down to, it was like that, that chunk of land or nothing like Mm -hmm. if we if we lose that there is no plan b like it's not like you're looking for your you find your dream house and someone else buys it and then you get a house and you know you never think about it again um like there literally was no plan b and so all this work i'd put into it would i guess go on a shelf and with the way bozeman's going like it just i'm not sure it would leave the shelf um so i 
called Roland. It's like, Hey, will you come out and ground truth this land with me? Like, I, I don't know enough at this point to, um, you know, make the call. And that's, you know, I think one of the things that's been very helpful through this whole thing is like, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm very aware that I'm not, uh, I didn't grow up in a ranching family. I, I, I don't have ranching experience. So, um, I, I need, I needed, I need needed to, and continue to need to rely on others to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and we knew we'd make mistakes. Like we wear that on our, on our, on our chest. So Roland came out and walked it and he was like, man, he's like for the price. I can't believe this. Like, I just, you know, um, uh, this is much better than I thought it would be. And he said, Hey, all the pieces are here, the grasses, the Forbes water, everything. He's like, ultimately you'll need more land. Um, but this is something you can start with and it's solid. Um, and so that was what I needed for the green light and based, you know, very, very, very shortly thereafter, we got it under contract, um, with as long a closing date as we could have. So we could continue to work on a business plan, learn more. Um, so then last summer I went into, you know, pretty hardcore research, meet with ranchers, um, uh, that mode. And, you know, again, just the more I learned, the more I met with folks, the more excited I got, the more I believed in, in our idea and vision. And, um, and I, you know, I guess just on that note, like I, one of the coolest parts of this whole thing has been all the amazing people I've met. Mm -hmm. Um, and just the like unbelievable generosity, um, uh, of time and information and knowledge. Uh, and like, I remember one story, the, the Aaron Polson is really great guy. He's the manager of the, um, Snowcrest Bison Ranch in the upper Ruby. Yep. And, um, I, you know, he agreed to give me a tour of the ranch and we got in his pickup and I said, Hey, do you mind if I take notes? He's like, Oh yeah, no, of course. And you know, like a half hour later, I was, I was writing something down that he'd said and he like stopped the truck and was looking over my shoulder and he's like, Oh, there's two T's. There's two T's. In there. <laughs> um, like he, he wanted to make sure that I got it exactly right. And that was, but that was the kind of folks we met with. And, um, and so, um, so yeah, so we, 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 you know, financing was a roller coaster, but we ultimately, we had to push back closing a little bit. We got everything done. Um, and yeah, close and the land became ours last September. That's soup. That's a great story. And we're going to talk more about your background, but I would imagine that the, uh, the, the collaboration there in the truck and sharing notes was a far cry from your experience in the corporate legal world. Um, before <laughs> the cutthroat world of, of high stakes, uh, legal stuff. So anyway, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny, another just uh, 100% yes. And so, um, one thing I found was, um, you know, in the, in the world of ranching, like there's it, it and it, makes sense like now that i'm in it that like you know each person's ranch like there's a lot of pride in how you know that person or family um operates their ranch and so you know to walk into a place and say hey you should do this and you should do that and you should change this and you should change that like that's just um you know that just doesn't happen Mm -hmm. and um and so whereas in, in the in my former world. Yeah. I mean, people on conference calls, they're talking over each other and debate, you know, just, you know, constant, um, ex, you know, uh, exchanging of opinions, conflict, etc. And I remember the, you know, the first couple of meetings, so, someone being like, Hey, you know, if it's okay. And again, if, if it's okay, I, I might make 
one suggestion. And, and so I ended up, I would say, at, 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 I would, when I was meeting with someone, I'd say, hey, at the outset, listen, um, I am new. I am as green as, as it gets. So please fire away. Like if I'm saying something that sounds crazy to you, interrupt me and tell me. Like I am in sponge mode and, um, you know, do not hold back with advice, ideas. Like I really, um, uh, because I think just, yeah, folks are just very respectful of other folks' operations and, and hesitant to, um, you know, pass judgment or, uh, offer unsolicited advice. So yeah, that was one, you know, very, very big difference. Well, you know, you, you, you say that you are new to this and you don't have experience, but when you, when you, I listen to you talk and I hear your mindset and the way you approach it with curiosity and with humility and with a sense of collaboration. I mean, it, it really reminds me of kind of the operating system of the Phillips family at Ranchlands, who I recently had both, um, big and little Duke on the podcast. And, you know, they've been doing it. Uh, Duke is the fourth, Duke, the fourth is the fourth generation ranching and their operating system is the same as yours. I mean, obviously they've been doing it for generations, but they approach it even now with this, the same outlook that you're approaching it. So I think, I think that's pretty, I think that's really neat to to hear and see. I mean, it's kind of like, that's the, that's what you need to have to do things on an innovative, um, kind of in an innovative way. One, one question I want to back up real quick, cause I bet people will be curious about it. Can you talk a little bit about the field harvest, kind of what that is and why that is preferable to shipping them out? Sure. Um, so field harvest, uh, you know, literally is shooting a bison, killing it, um, in the pasture where it stands. Um, and so I guess the alternative and what the, you know, 99.99999% of other places do is at the end, um, you know, ship, whether it's bison cattle, what have you, um, you know, load them up on a trailer and send them off to, a slaughterhouse processing facility somewhere, um, you know, or, or, and many of them, including bison, the vast majority, um, you know, to a feedlot to be fattened up. Um, um, and so, you know, bison just have not been domesticated like, um, cattle have. So, so that's just, a. it's just the stress it's, you know, it's gotta be stressful for any animal, but for bison, the stress is just through the roof. Um, so to me, um, you know, the two huge pieces of field harvest are one, the ethical humane side of it, that this bison has, you know, lived out on pasture or, you know, on eating, you know, a variety of grasses and forbs and, um, you know, that's all it's known. Um, and then standing there, um, a single shot to the head and it immediately drops pancakes, goes into outer space, um, you know, doesn't have a bad second. Um, so from an ethical humane standpoint, it doesn't get any better. And then from a meat quality standpoint, um, you know, there's no stress in that meat. And it has surprised me that you don't hear as much about that in the world of, I guess, um, uh, meat you buy at grocery stores. So, mm-hmm. you know, in the world of livestock in hunting, you hear about it a lot, right? Like that if, you know, somebody makes a bad shot on a deer or an elk and they have to track it for hours and hours and hours, and there's all this stress that it's going to affect the quality of the meat, um, and, and so as I've, you know, told folks about our operation and what we're doing, when I talk to chefs, I mean, they literally finish the sentence for me and they say, wow, your meat must be incredible. There's no stress in it. And, um, 
so yeah, so, so field harvest, um, you know, right now we've been selling quarters, custom, uh, um, custom exempt, which just means, um, uh, we don't right now we're not dealing with state inspection. We, we, we pre-sell art and animal to four folks and then I go out and, um, you know, drive into the pasture where the bison are and they know me, they know my truck. And, um, it's, you know, I have a 308 rifle with a 168 grain copper bullet. And I wait till a bison, I know which animals are meat animals based on ear tags. And I wait till one is turned broadside standing still. And it's a, a single shot to the ear and it drops, you know, outer space instantaneously. Um, and then I field dress it and, uh, or actually I, um, I take it to a different pasture, uh, field dress it and then take it to the processor and, um, and actually kind of to go full circle last December when we were trying to figure out where we were going to buy our bison, um, the, we were talking to deep Creek ranch up, up near Shoto, Montana, which is where we ultimately got them. And, um, while I was talking to them, they, had, they, they, they said, Hey, you know, uh, wild idea is going to, you know, Dan O'Brien's outfit is going to be here next week, field slaughtering, field harvesting some of our animals. And I was like, Oh my God, I, I need to see this. Um, and so I was able to be up there and see the wild idea team and their mobile slaughterhouse, um, field harvest a number of animals. And, um, it was just really impressive. Just the, um, the care respect, um, just how, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it was just just really 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 well done and um, you know, grilled the their shooter with questions um and you know, again, just further reinforced that this this is what I want to do. This I I feel really strongly about this. That's that's really uh I love hearing all that for a lot of reasons, but I think one is it underscores the complexity of what you're doing. And I think, you know, you're, you're an entrepreneur and you're doing this, you got this entrepreneurial venture. And I think a lot of times nowadays, especially people think of when they think entrepreneur, they think tech startup or something like that. But when you hear of all the different aspects of this business and all the different regulations and all these different things you're having to figure out, it, it shows how damn complicated it is. And so I guess the, the one question I have is, You've, you know, you've got some time with this business under your belt now. And what is, what's been the biggest surprise of running this business? Like when you were dreaming about it before you actually got serious and put the money down, you had this idea of how it would go. And now you've got the real life experience. So what's been the, what's been the biggest surprise? Um, man, great question. Um, I think, you know, one, and this is not a, you know, this is not a bullshit answer by any stretch of the imagination. I think um, just how much I love it and how how natural a fit it is for me. Yeah. Um, and I say that because, you know, for the 13 years before, or, or yeah, I guess 16 years before doing this, I had three years of law school, three years in Chicago, uh, a decade at NRDC, um, and so this is a radical change from what I did before, which were, you know, office jobs. Mm -hmm. And while I did a ton of work and, you know, was, uh, uh, you know, very thorough in the due diligence phase as far as researching the idea and all those things, um, you still, you know, wonder, like, when you do it, you leave your job, you quit, 
you take on a bunch of debt and you do this, like, you, you know, there, there's a voice in your head of like, you know, you're definitely, there's some fear and some stress. And, and so for me, I just wondered like, you know, oh my God, like what if in, you know, January, February, I'm out there, it's 10 below and, you know, um, this isn't for me or, or something. I, I don't know. I just, just, yeah. you know, there, there, there's that wonder of like, is there like an, Oh shit, this was, this sounded really good, but, um, and I'm like really deep into it. And so, um, you know, it just, just, it's just such a, such a huge change, both work, lifestyle, everything. And so I guess for me, just, just how natural, like I remember very early, like, you know, I go back to January cause I left NRDC in December. Um, you know, at an NRDC, my old job, like you're getting emails all the time and, um, there's just a lot going on. And so at the ranch, we have no cell reception. So I just wondered like on a Tuesday at three o'clock, no cell reception. I'm out there with the bison. Like, how would I feel? Would I be calm and happy or would it be kind of like, what, you know, what am I doing here? And, um, it was just so, I guess, seamless and, you know, just felt like, man, this, this feels good. And, uh, so that's, that's, that's one, one, I guess, pleasant surprise. It's just, you don't know, you think, you think it's, you know, makes sense going into sure. it, but, uh, like I, um, I'm very grateful that I believe I've, you know, I've found my calling. Like I, I really love what I do. Um, and, um, and then another thing is just like, I guess related to that, just overnight, the difference in mindset of like work, like it doesn't feel, you know, and let me be clear the shit is at the fan multiple times. Like this is not some sort of like, you know, all rainbows and pretty sunsets. Um, it's like, we've, you know, we've, I have some stories and there's certainly been a lot of stress and craziness. Um, but you know, when you're working for yourself and working to try to build something meaningful and tangible, um, it, so much of it just doesn't feel like work. And, mm-hmm. and it's also, it's a seven day a week job. Um, and so, but there's a lot of flexibility. And so just, yeah, I guess been surprised. Just like I work a lot, but it's, it's just different mentally. Um, and, and I also, you know, I always tell folks like, like you mentioned the the tech startup, like, you know, what we're doing here is not, you know, we're not trying to, you know, build an app and sell it to Google in five years. Like this is a lifetime plan. Yeah. Um, and so there's something about really building something. And again, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very tangible I and mean, you can go out and see it and touch it, and taste it. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so those, those are, uh, have been a, a couple, 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 couple great surprises. So you've got this varied background and we'll talk more about the details, but you know, you, you're a lawyer, you, you know, went to law school, you, you worked in an office and, you know, now I think we're about the same age. Where are you? 40, 41, 41, 41, me too. And so thinking, and, and I, I kind of had a similar thing with my job, you know, I, I did all this real estate stuff for so long and finally, probably about the same time we both kind of transitioned and I transitioned into full-time conservation. And all of a sudden I was like, golly, this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I work hard, same idea. I work hard, but it's, it doesn't, it's not like grunt work. I mean, it, it just kind of flows and it's, this really good feeling. But when I think back, sometimes I'm like, man, I should have started doing this when I was 23. But then I'm like, actually, I don't know that it would have, 
I would have appreciated it or that it would have worked because it's this culmination of all the experiences I've had. So do you, is that, do you think the same thing? I mean, do you think oh if you God. had started doing this at age 23, if it would have been a fit or is it a fit because you've had all these other experiences that have kind of meshed together to, to get you to where you are? You, yeah, no, you, you nailed it. And I, I mean, I like strongly, strongly agree with you. And it's something that I have talked about with, with multiple people. Cause you know, people have seen what we're doing and have come up and like, Oh my God, like, how'd you guys do that? And like, I'm frustrated or whatever. And, and, um, and so, yeah, there, there is, there is no way that I would enjoy it as much as I do. Um, and, and I think, uh, um, well, hell we, I, I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't have those experiences. And so, um, yeah, I think that, you know, the times where you're in a job where you're really frustrated, um, and, um, yeah, I guess feeling pretty restless. It, it, you, you, you don't, you definitely don't realize it at the time, but you're, it, it, it'll pay off eventually. And so, um, like I remember like, it's a longer story, but the bison this summer, um, we were doing a pasture move and, um, it went wrong. It, it, it didn't go well. Yeah. Um, and it was, and it was, it was, it was, uh, the bison got out. It was, sun, it was just about to get dark. And, um, we just, we, I called a friend and mentor and we decided we were just, we just going to leave him for the night. And, um, the stress was just, I mean, off the charts, like truly the most stress I've had since, our son was born and we had an un Sarah had an unplanned C-section. Like it was just unbelievable. But even in that, like that night, I remember thinking like, even in that moment of like just horrible, intense stress that like, I wouldn't have traded it for the world. That's um, cool. You, you know, like, cause, and, and, and there are plenty of, yeah, rough moments or stress or whatever, or, you know, you know, I just had something go wrong with UPS that ultimately worked out, but it was so frustrating um, and so I guess, yeah, if you, if you didn't have like the time in the trenches and you know, that, that, um, experience, I think it would be like you're saying, if you're doing it when you're 23, you would, you just wouldn't have the perspective and the appreciation, um, for it. So yeah, I, I, I feel really strongly about that. Yeah. I'd, and I think if somebody, if I've been listening to this five years ago or six years ago and hearing you talk about being stressed, but, you know, kind of thankful for the stress, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have understood it. And, but now I do, cause I've got such a different perspective on things. And so I would say to anybody who's listening, like if you're 23 or 24 and you don't understand what the hell we're talking about, <laughs> yeah. it's an old man's secret. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. It's totally true. And then, and then the irony for me is that, you know, with, with a, I guess a pretty non-traditional path to ranching, um, I, it's just bizarre. Like never, I mean, the background of a, you know, as a former lawyer, it's an incredible background for, for, for what I'm doing and never in a million years in law school would I've thought that that would have led to bison ranching. Um, but dealing with different rules, regulations, laws, policy like that, I'm very comfortable with that world. Um, and then my years at NRDC working with wild bison and different relationships. And, um, it's just, uh, it's just funny. You know, it's funny how the world works. You know, you take this winding path and, uh, yeah, just, I don't know, kind of cracks me up. So when did you decide to make the shift from the legal world to the environmental conservation advocacy world? How did that, how did that go down? 
my earliest memories. I just, I, I have loved nature ever since I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, and then I got really into fly fishing in high school. Um, and, and fly fishing was, was my, um, I guess, gateway drug into conservation, if yeah. you will, but, you know, like joining Trout Unlimited and, um, uh, you know, learning about, yeah, just, just, you know, um, the different environmental threats out there and the groups that exist to, to fight them. Um, and it was one of the reasons I went to law school. Um, and so, yeah, I graduated from law school in 05. I clerked for a federal magistrate judge in Chicago for a year. And then I spent two years in the litigation group of a, a large law firm in Chicago. Um, and you know, I knew, I knew it wasn't for me, um, long-term and I, I just, you know, super interested in conservation. Um, but also, but you know, our move to Montana, when we moved out here, I didn't have a job, um, mm-hmm. nor, nor did my wife. It was a lifestyle move. Like we, um, uh, I went to college in Vermont and, um, it was my first time, you know, being raised in suburban Chicago, living in a place, you know, in, in rural Vermont. And, um, I got into hunting in college through this, you know, amazing guy that, that, that I met. And, um, and so just at some point I knew that I wanted to live somewhere where I had legitimate access to the outdoors. Um, like not like you hear people say, Oh, you know, it's great. We can drive four hours to this spot. (laughs) Um, you know, but the reality is like after a hard work week, you know, on a Friday night, like you're just not going to do it. No, um, uh, definitely not. Right. So I, it was just super important to me that like you only live once life is short. And, um, I just wanted to live somewhere where I could, you know, fish, hunt, have a bird dog, um, and just have the outdoors at my fingertips. And I had, you know, started coming out West a long time ago, fell real hard for Montana. And, um, so in 08, when Sarah and I were, uh, about to get married. We were living in Chicago and, you know, we were renting a place and we started talking about buying a condo and I was like, I can't do it. Like, we're going to wake up here. We're going to wake up here in 30 years. Um, and as much as I like love the city of Chicago, it just, it just wasn't for me. Sure. And, um, and so that really was the impetus for us to, to move. And, um, Bozeman was the place. So, um, uh, yeah, so, so I had applied for a job with NRDC and I hoped I'd get it, but I didn't know if I would. Um, so yeah, so I guess, you know, wanting to work in conservation had been something that had been floating around my brain for a long, long time. Um, but the, the actual move to Montana in 08 was, 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 was a lifestyle. It was, you know, choice. That takes guts to do that, especially when you get on the track at one of those big law firms, because I got a lot of friends that do that, and they make it hard for you to say no. At least that's my understanding. I mean, they they want you there, and they reward you for being there, but it's just – it can be a treadmill, man. Um, I mean, you know a lot better than I do. I'm not telling you that you don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, no, for sure. I mean, I guess for me, you know, I just – I knew knew it was – it was never for me. And I, 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 and I, you know, the firm I worked for, there were some great people there and I had, I, you know, plenty of good experiences and, um, but it wasn't, I, it, it was, you know, a good place to start. And, um, you know, one thing that, that, so, so after I graduated from law school, when I, uh, I moved, Sarah and I moved in together in Chicago in this, I guess, summer of 05. And then I clerked for a year 
for this amazing guy, um, uh, Judge Denlow, federal magistrate judge. He actually married Sarah and me. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, just, an, just a really, really, really great guy. Um, great, great person. And uh, so I worked for the federal government for a year. And then when that was over, I then went to this law firm where I'd been a summer associate. And when I, and obviously there was going to be a big change in salary. And I said to Sarah, I was like, Hey, I'm switching jobs, but we are not switching our lifestyle in any way, shape or form. Um, Cause I knew that, you know, being a big firm lawyer just was, was not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, we were able to save money and, um, and I, and I, you know, again, good experience, but, um, I never got caught up in the, um, you know, partnership track trying to you know, or the money or a- anything like that. I just, I knew, you know, I guess it was a means to an end. It was a place to get good experience, um, uh, save some money, work hard. Um, and I knew I just, yeah, it, it, so, so, so it wasn't that hard for me. <laughs> but so how, how is that though? I mean, like, because that all makes sense now looking back, but when you're, what were you like? probably 27, 28 at that point. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would 20, think, 29. I mean, it's, it takes a certain type of person to turn that stuff down or to, to do your own thing in the midst of the herd. And the herd there is, there's a very specific thing they do and they make a lot of money and they buy, you know, buy a lot of stuff and get a big mortgage and then you have to make more money. And so like, where did, have you always been like that? Willing to kind of make your own choices, do your own thing, or is that something you learned? Is that how your parents are? Where where does that come from? Because that you say it, but as if it's no big deal, but it is a big deal. I don't know that I would have been able to do that. Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's a really good question. I think, I, I guess, you know, I'm the middle of three boys, um, so I think, you know, um, I've always had an uh, an independent streak. I've I I like rocking to my own beat and. Um, and my parents always supported that. Um, you know, like when I got really into fly fishing, when I turned 16, like they were comfortable with me driving to Wisconsin for the day to, to fly fish and drive home, you know, exhausted at night. Um, and, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, and I, I guess I just through a variety of life experiences, um, and, and meeting people, um, I just, you know, uh, you know, I guess saw folks that were had, uh, from a, from a, from a superficial, um, material, you know, all the stuff that, that, that popular media and culture tells you are the markers of success and happiness. Um, I guess I, you know, was somehow fortunate to, at some, some age to, to see that that's not the case. And yep. that, you know, a lot of those people are actually like, um, you know, very deeply unhappy. And, um, you know, it's kind of the crazy thing, right? Like you work this job that you hate, um, to, to, to make a bunch of money to, to spend it on things that don't bring you happiness. Um, which seems insane. That's good. I mean, yeah. I, I've talked to enough people on this podcast that it seems like, I feel like I've got some perspective cause that's kind of a common theme of being willing to do your own thing. And I think a lot of it just comes down to confidence, you know, the confidence to, to kind of follow yourself and it, um, not arrogance at all. It's not that cause arrogance I think is just, is showing you don't have any confidence. Um, so you were, you were a college athlete, hockey player. How, how have the lessons learned from 
being pretty focused in on on sports for a big part of your life has has that carried over into this into your current business venture? Man, I mean, I, I, I sports, you know, playing hockey, playing hockey in college, um, you, you, you learn so much uh, about life, right? Like as far as winning, losing, teamwork, um, working hard. Um, and it's, it's something I feel really strongly about because it's, you know, I think it's changing a little bit, but for so long, you know, college athletes were portrayed as, you know, college sports were bad, dumb jocks, all that stuff. And, you know, um, you think about, I think I look back and I think about, you know, what I learned in a random history lecture versus what I learned on a bus ride back from a game on a Saturday night at, you know, midnight, mm-hmm. um, with your teammates. And, uh, um, you know, the, the bus ride is what, is what sticks with you and builds character. Um, so I think that, you know, for me, it's, it's, uh, I think just, yeah. Um, the, the teamwork piece of it is, you know, I played, you know, hockey's a team sport. Um, and I was fortunate to be on a lot of really good teams with, with great players, um, so I think for me, it's, uh, always, um, being very aware that, you know, trying to surround yourself with good people, a good team, and then giving credit where credit's due. Um, so I think there's a fair amount of humility that comes with, uh, you know, uh, playing team sports, um, because, you know, you're, you're on team. It's not, it's, it's, it's different than an individual sport or another individual endeavor. Sure. Um, another thing we have in common is we have kids that are about the same age and is your, your oldest is in kindergarten. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. So you're like a a year ahead of me. Um, (laughs) when, when I had kids and I started kind of understanding how it all works or before I had kids, I'd say people start talking about having kids and I would just instantly zone out and I'm like, that's boring or that's cliche or whatever. And now I'm obsessed with it because it's so it's so awesome and I love it. But I've all the cliches you hear before you have kids, now I realize they're cliches because they're true. I mean it's it's crazy. So how did how did having kids it's kind of a big question, you could probably write a book about it, but how, <laughs> if at all, did having kids kind of change your approach to work or or just life in general? Because I guess it was I mean, I guess you'd had kids for for a while when you made this switch, but did they did your relationship with them or your, you know, being a father, did that factor in at all to your decision to kind of chase this dream that you're chasing? Uh, yeah, hugely, huge way. Um, you know, one of the things as I was trying to figure out, you know, I had, so I had this, you know, little, I don't know, dream of like doing something entrepreneurial on my own, tangible, um, and, and, and in a way that would, would make the world a better place. Very, very, very broadly defined. Um, but what really helped me was like process of elimination, like thinking about things that I, I didn't want to do. And so, um, when I, so our, our son Otto is six and our daughter, our daughter Greta is two and a half. And when we had Otto, I mean, I, what you were saying, I was just nodding like, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of instantaneous overnight, uh, you know, the way that you think about things and approach life. And so I guess when it comes to the bison ranch, um, in my, when I was at NRDC, you know, I didn't travel a ton compared to like, you know, say a consultant or, or something, but 
but there was work travel, you know, and, um, and each year it just became more painful. Mm -hmm. You know, I just, I really dreaded getting on airplanes. Um, and I was very lucky that my, my parents were, I have great parents and they were very involved in our lives. My dad was just, you know, and, and my mom, but you know, just, just super involved, um, in our lives growing up. And so that was, that's something that's like, well, yeah, that, that's like my number one value right, right there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, so when I thought about what to do next, I knew I wanted it to be something Bozeman based, uh, um, where I didn't have to travel a lot, you know, like you think of some, you know, something where if you, if I had to go to, you know, San Francisco, a bunch or Chicago or whatever, and it's just like, yeah, no, no interest, no interest whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I have not been on an airplane in, in well over a year. And That's I, awesome. <laughs> I, yeah, I love it. Like, I absolutely love it. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that was a huge factor for me was something that was family friendly because, um, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not, the, I'm more of a homebody. Like I just, I love being at home with Sarah and the kids. Um, you know, like I love working hard, being outside, but, um, and, but at the end of the day, love coming home and being with my family. And, um, so, so yeah, so, so, so being a dad, um, it's the ultimate responsibility, something I take very seriously. And yeah, it was, it, it was a huge factor in this decision. Yeah. I love hearing that. It, it really is amazing how those, those kids change your perspective. You know, I, I used to think when I'd see somebody who, you know, they used to have a job where they traveled a lot or like I used to do some mountain climbing and people would go on these five, six week climbing trips. And I remember thinking, oh, well, these people, when they have kids, they, they get soft or they don't want to, they're not, it, it sucks the life out of them. But what I didn't understand is that like, I don't want to go on a six week climbing yeah. trip. Like I have no interest in it. It's not, I, I, I'm not being soft. It's not like I've gotten turned into some dad who's boring or scared or something, but like, I literally don't want to do that anymore. Just as much as I used to want to do it. Now I don't want to do it. And so I think that evolution is, is really neat. And again, for young people listening, you'll understand someday, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true though. I mean, like, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's totally true. It's totally uh, true. So one more kind of broad question. When you think about your, all your experience professionally, athletically, just all this cool stuff, all your outdoor, outdoor fishing, are there people outside of your family either that you've met or, or have just read about that you kind of consider heroes or, or mentors kind of in the way that you live your life? And like mine, for everybody who listens knows, but I'm obsessed with Theodore Roosevelt and just kind of the, his operating system for life of going hard, working as hard as you can, working with passion, um, working with purpose. And obviously never met Theodore Roosevelt, but I've, I've read a ton of books. Is there anybody like that in your life that, that you look to as kind of an example of how you'd like to live? Yeah. Yeah. There's, 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 there's a few, um, you know, from, 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 I guess like non famous people, just people I know, yeah. um, you know, I guess I mentioned my dad earlier, but my, you know, just, just the way we were raised, my dad was just, was just a really great hands-on involved dad. And, um, you know, he, his story is unique in the sense that he was, you know, born and raised in Evanston, which is the, um, first suburb North of Chicago. And his dad died when he was two. Oh, wow. Um, so he never knew his dad. And so when, when, 
when he had three boys, it was like his mission that he was going to be this, this great dad. Um, but, and he had no, uh, you know, no, no model to go on. Um, and, but just, yeah, very involved in my life. And so, um, you know, and just, just super, you know, as you talked about, like I've, 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 I've made a lot of different choices and rocked to my own beat and he's always supported it. Um, so just that kind of, you know, um, commitment to family. And then, uh, um, I have this amazing mentor friend uh, who's actually my dad's best friend, Mike Silverman. Um, he, uh, he's a, he's a turnaround consultant. So he, he, um, works with failing companies to turn them around and, and make them, uh, successful. I've run every, you know, business idea by, by Mike. And, um, I mean, um, and he, yeah, just this amazing guy who's just like super smart, incredibly like unbelievably hysterical, uh, you know, very, very much a you know, devoted family guy could rocks to his own beat, could care less what anyone thinks. And, um, and he's been hugely, hugely helpful through this whole process. Um, I mean, we, we talk a lot, you know, um, and he, you know, pushes me on the, you know, the business side of things to, you know, um, and so, yeah, just, just another person who just, he's had a huge impact on my life. Um, and then another one, um, is this guy, he unfortunately is no longer with us, but his name's Kim Montgomery. And he, he was a, um, a dentist in, in Vermont. And I met him through friends of mine in college, um, and he is the one that got me into hunting, um, years ago. And my senior year, you know, we, we duck hunted a bunch together and, uh, and Kim has this amazing, you know, amazing wife, Q three boys who are, you know, I'm, I'm the middle of three boys. He's got three boys that I'm still close with. Um, I just emailed with one last week. They anyway, it's just this amazing family. Um, and again, being from suburban Chicago, like seeing the way they lived in rural Vermont, which is just very different. And between Kim getting me into hunting and all those mornings spent talking about life in the duck blind, um, I really like when I look back, I, I really think that like, like, but for meeting Kim Montgomery, like, I don't think I'd be in Montana doing this. Like it was that. Um, and, and he, you know, if you ever need an example of life is not fair, Kim was, um, died a handful of years ago from early Alzheimer's, but just, just an amazing guy that had a big influence on my life. Um, so yeah, so those, so I've, I've been lucky with, you know, a few, you know, um, really good mentors. Um, uh, and then from, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Teddy, I, I, I love Teddy Roosevelt. I'm not a, you know, expert like you are, but I, you know, he's got some great quotes. I love, I love his overall, um, um, sort of what, t you know, TR stands for, mm -hmm. but I'm also, but from a, I guess more of a famous person, I'm an Aldo Leopold super fan. Nice. Nut. nice. Um, but actually my Sarah, when we were dating, I gave her a Sam County, yeah, excuse me, a Sam County almanac. I was like, you have to read this book. And <laughs> she loved it. And then she actually surprised me my third year of law school. And she, she contacted the, uh, the Leopold foundation in Wisconsin and set up a tour of his shack in Baraboo. Oh, wow. And, yeah. It was unreal. Um, it, it was like this, it was like a Saturday morning is unmarked. You had to meet just on a random road and there were like six of us. And, um, so yeah, I've got, I, I had visited all the Leopold shack, our dog's names, Aldo. Um, so he's, he's kind of, 
um, yeah, I'm a big, big Aldo Leopold fan. I need to, you know, I've read some of his stuff, but I have not gone as deep as I need to. And it's almost like embarrassing now because, <laughs> because like it continues to come up and I continue to not dig into it as I should. So this might be the final push I need to, to go. Um, well, I can't believe we're already bumping up on the time. And unfortunately, I have to go do office meeting stuff while uh, the stuff that you've left behind. <laughs> but, but hey, re- before we finish, can you tell me a book or two that is, are your favorites about the American West? Are there any that, that come to mind that are some of your all-time favorites? Sure. Well, I mean, I, I would I would start with, you know, A Sand County Almanac yep. by – Aldo Leopold's my favorite book ever. And and there's parts of it, you know, the first part, the, you know, 12 seasons are, are mostly focused around his, his farm in Wisconsin, but the, the, some of the essays are, are Western based, but just, just an amazing book and something, you know, kind of gets thrown around all the Leopold, Sam County Almanac, but something that's, it still blows my mind. is like, he died in 1948. Mm-hmm. So like this guy was so far ahead of his time and his thinking, um, so that's just like, that's the Bible. Um, and then, well, and then obviously for me personally, you know, Buffalo for the broken heart by Daniel yep, Bryan yep. on unreal. And then, uh, uh, I guess on the Buffalo, uh, two, just two good Buffalo books. I love is American Buffalo by Steve Ranella. Mm-hmm. And then, um, last stand, uh, it's on George bird Grinnell saving the Buffalo, um, Yellowstone national park, just a really interesting book about the origins of Yellowstone, the world's first national park, um, the near extinction of bison. Um, so those are, those are a handful of books that, you know, uh, on the West that I have, have loved. Well, man, this was really, this was really great. And I'm so glad to learn more about what you're doing because between seeing your stuff on social media and all of our mutual friends, this has been a long time coming. So next step is I'd need to come up there and see the place in person. But thank you. Uh, thanks for your time and for sharing all this. It's really fun. And um, I wish you all the best as you, you keep this thing going. No, uh, this is great. I, you know, honor to be on your podcast because I, I love it. I listen to it all the time in the truck. And um, uh, and thanks for all that you do. I mean, you know, that land conservation work is, is you know, is, is so important and, you know, more, more important now than ever. So uh, and yeah, I love the podcast. So yeah, whenever you're uh, in Bozeman next, um, needless to say, you're, you know, come up to the ranch and, and see it. Hey, it's Ed again. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast and thanks for listening to that particular episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Before you go, I've got three quick things. Number one, if you like the podcast, please do me a huge favor. Either pass it along to a friend who may be interested, share it on your social media, and or go to iTunes and give it a five-star review. All those things would mean a lot to me, and they would really help to spread the word about the podcast. Number two, if you've listened to many of these episodes, you know that I love reading and I love talking about books. Every other month, I send out a quick email with a few books that I've recently read and highly recommend. The subjects are varied, but they're pretty much all nonfiction with an emphasis on history, biographies, adventure narratives, and topics related to the American West. There are no sales pitches for ranches, no spam, no other kind of nonsense, just books. So if you'd like to sign up for the list, head to Mountain and Prairie slash reading, or just go to Mountain and Prairie and there's a massive tab at the top that says book recommendations. Click on it. There are a ton of good books that I've read, 
Some of the old email lists are on there. Uh, You can go crazy. There are a lot of books. And finally, if you know anyone I should interview for the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. All my contact info is at mountainimperial.com, and I'm on all the social media stuff, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. So feel free to reach out. I'd love to have some recommendations and suggestions of interesting people I should meet. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Thank you.